Hi and hello, watch fans, and welcome to another Audicle Analysis episode from The Real Time Show. Today, I am joined by David Vaucher, the author of the recently published Audicle blog pan swatch, 50 Fathoms, Thrifty Fathoms, 51 Fathoms discussion, and my regular co-host, Alan Ben-Joseph, calling in all the way from Amsterdam. How are you doing today, gents? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. It's funny, you always say all the way from Amsterdam, whereas I'm not that far from you whenever you are either in Dresden or in Manchester. I kind of believe that David is even a bit further away from both of us. So all the way from where are you, David? Paris, or I should say Paris, to keep the French Et Paris, the site d'amour. C'est ça, c'est ça. Very nice indeed. Yeah, well, that's a good point. My girlfriend also commented on the chosen phraseology of the show opener saying like, why do you always mention where Alon's coming from, but you never say greetings from Dresden or anything like that? And it's a good point. I suppose I see Amsterdam as our spiritual home. And I guess because I'm often moving around, I'm a little bit more satellitic than you are. I always refer to that as if it's, you know, you're coming to me from wherever you are. But if the audience has a problem with that and they want me to be a little bit more democratic and say, calling in from Dresden, Amsterdam, by way of Paris, then please let us know and we will adjust our opening. But today, we have more important things to discuss than where we all are in the world. David wrote us a very interesting and potentially inflammatory article about the latest bioceramic release from Swatch, this time buddying up with Blancpain. So we're going to cut that up today and see where we all stand on it and what we think it says about the future of the Swatch group and these in-company collaborations. But first, David, if you'd be so kind as to give us a quick rundown of exactly the key points you were making in that article. If any one of us were to be used to getting Christmas cards from uh, Blancpain, I don't think we're going to be getting those uh, after after this article. Uh, because, as usual, uh, you guys let me run with my thoughts. And uh, these particular ones surrounded not just the, the swatch by Blancpain, which I think we can all agree is, is you know perhaps the hottest watch of the last uh, six months or easily a year in terms of hype it's generated. But how that translated to Blancpain as a brand and specifically one of its main icons. So just to run through the high level points, uh, and hopefully we can we can all sort of exchange ideas on these as we we go through the uh, the episode. But the first one, the first point I made was that to me, completely sincerely, I think Blancpain is the most important watch brand in luxury watchmaking because luxury watches as we know them may not exist because of what happened with Blancpain around the quartz crisis, and uh, mechanical watches generally just may not exist in the same way they do now uh, without that brand's contribution, of course, you know, tied in with Jean-Claude Biver's work on the on the marketing side. So that's one thing. Uh, the second kind of point I led into was that this watch, the, the Swatch by Blancpain watch is, it's, it's important in terms of the hype it's generating, but I'm not very interested in, in it as a watch. It just, it's not how I'd spend my 400 euros, but I do own a Blancpain. And so for me, if that project can elevate the brand itself, uh, then I'm all for it. Uh, but I'm unfortunately not very enthusiastic that that's going to happen because unlike Omega, who obviously had the moon swatch last year, uh, Blancpain has not done a very good job of priming the pump on the uh, back end or the front end and specifically with uh, the 50 Fathoms line. So the 50 Fathoms is Blancpain's one key icon. And uh, I just don't think it's what the people want, honestly. It just, it it's, you know, we can talk about what that means in detail, but I don't think the market fit is there. And uh, it's even more baffling given the leadership of the company. And I think we'll, if you've heard the article, you know where I'm going with this. I think for now, we'll just save it to the end. But uh, it just seems like all the pieces are there 
for Blancpain to just absolutely crush it. And, and they're not, unfortunately, in my opinion. It's an interesting point that you raise. It may not be what the people want. I suppose when we really dig into the subject directly, I might end up saying something along the lines of, it may not be what the people know they want. And a lot of that comes down to communication. But you do touch upon a very interesting point that is somewhat tangential to the specific Blancpain 50 Fathoms Swatch collaboration, but an interesting one nonetheless. You said, it isn't what I'd spend my 400 euros on. Now, I love these discussions about where we see value and where we put our own money and how that money goes towards developing our own collections, because I think that's interesting for other people, well, the listeners of The Real Time Show, to hear our three very different perspectives. We're all at different stages of our collecting career. We've all had different occupations, different amounts of money that we have available to spend on watches. What I find funny is that 400 euros for guys like us that collect a lot of watches is not a lot of money. And it isn't to say that that watch that costs 400 euros is objectively not worth 400 euros at all. I find myself reviewing a great many watches in the, say, 400 to 4,000 euro price bracket. And that's a very broad price bracket that takes in many different tiers of watch collecting, I would say. And it's not that the watches aren't actually good value for the money that you're spending on them. It's the fact that why would you, as a collector that is a certain point in your journey, drop down to that level to buy that watch, however good value it may be, because it doesn't really add to your collection. It doesn't further your collection. Now, you are a Blancpain collector. Well, as in, I mean, you are a Blancpain owner. And therefore, buying a cheap entry-level Blancpain, the most entry of all entry-level Blancpains ever, doesn't make any sense for you. And yet it may be necessary for someone with your knowledge and exposure to the brand to see the true value in the 50 Fathoms collaboration to want to buy it anyway. So it'll be an interesting thing to consider when we talk about who this project is actually for. But let's start off with Alon's response to a very broad question that I'm going to ask you, David, then I'm going to jump in with my thoughts on it. And that is, what do you think of this project just in general? Does it work? What are your immediate takeaways? I am a huge fan of Cola. And we have heated debates in the real-time show network, especially with one amazing supporter of the show. And he despises collabs, I believe. And I've been thinking about why I love collabs so much, especially ever since I've heard the article. I usually listen to your articles, David, instead of reading them. Um, so that gives me extra joy. It's because I'm a sneakerhead. Um, because of the collabs in the sneaker world, I got infected with that bug. So analyzing why collabs work and why they might not work is I usually think the key ingredients are either both brands have to be equally wanted or cool or sought after or bring such creativity that the one plus one creates synergy, so more than three. Or if one price point is way lower than the other partner collaborating with that brand, it maybe has a similarity in coolness and therefore it creates synergy. So often collabs are done for marketing purposes. And the first thing I think of is, for example, I, I, most of you know I collect Air Jordan 1s and more sneakers as well, but the, the cornerstone of my collections are Jordan 1s. 
So the first time I've ever heard of Off-White and Virgil Abloh is because of the collab they did with Nike, or Nike did with him, actually, with the Tens, a series of 10 collabs. Let's take the collab with The Cactus, a.k.a. Travis Scott. He's done my cup of tea, music-wise. So I've, I didn't even know him. I didn't even know he hooked up with a Kardashian either. So because of Nike, I had to research who he was. But I gravitated to the collab because he made an amazing shoe with them. Taking this as a case study to the watch world. Now, obviously, I bought several Moon Swatches because I love Omega. I love Swatch. And I love the Moon Watch. So it was a no-brainer to buy them. Do I often wear them in my rotation of watches? No. And the first one I had on my wrist, second day the pusher broke off. So that already ruined the fun for me a bit. Besides, I didn't like the Velcro straps. I put an original Omega NATO strap on it, but I'm not a huge fan of NATO straps. So it it doesn't it didn't make it into my rotation. Now, was it a cool collab? Yes. Did Omega need it? I don't think so. Although the stats apparently say that it helped commercially, I believe on the long term, it's not a good marketing exercise for Omega because they downgraded the luxury appeal of Omega watches, which have been rising, especially in price, but also in esteem of collectability a lot the last decade. I have to jump in there because that's a very hot take. All the stats at the moment show that there was a swell of interest in the traditional moon swatch and that sales skyrocketed. So at what point do you think the fact that Omega did this collaboration with Swatch, which is surely only going to pale in the mind's eye as time progresses, is it going to have a negative effect on the sales? I'm really interested in that. That's, that's interesting. I've not heard anyone say that now. I heard a lot of people say it before the fact. A lot of people say it. A lot of people speculate that it was going to destroy Omega as a brand. But thus far, the opposite seems to be true. So that's interesting. Now, I'm talking as a marketeer on a long-term scope, five, 10 years. Omega has been pushing up and up and upwards, dumped all the quartz, pricing up, upgrade the calibers, designs, quality, uh, closed 50% of the dealer network, pushing it to mono brand. They were killing discounts. They want to get rid of discounts on Chrono 24. So I think that Nick Hayek Jr., who loves Swatch the most within the, 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 the hive of brands that the Swatch group has, it's their number one. The group is named after Swatch, right? So everything that he does has to support Swatch. And everything else comes second. So I believe this was forced upon Omega. Let's be realistic. If Omega and Swatch weren't part of the same group and or owners, do you guys really think that collab would have happened? Let me ask you that. Well, no, no, definitely not. I'm, I'm sure that it wouldn't have done because it's questionable as to who it benefits the most. But I think there would always be benefit on both sides. Well, not always. Of course, there was that speculation it would have like tanked Omega's reputation. And you're saying long term, it may still do that. But, or at least that's what I think you're saying. 
I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're saying it will eventually tarnish their their ability to really step up to the levels of pricing that they'd like to. Because as I think you're alluding to, they want to match Rolex step for step. And you're saying, I guess, that this will probably hamstring them at some point. But for example, if it were a collaboration between Tag Heuer and Swatch, the question would be, well, who's going to come out on top of this? Because these guys that run these companies like the Arnos and the Hayeks, they're so competitive. Even if Tag Heuer gained 30% of sales in one year because of it, and but Swatch gained 60, then they wouldn't do it because they'd be like, oh, well, we're helping Swatch out and they're piggybacking on our name and they're selling more watches than we are and that devalues our brand. But since they're in the same conglomerate, I, I think that it, it makes sense. And I think that the fact it may have benefited Swatch financially more than Omega is neither here nor there if Omega also benefits on a smaller scale, but relatively perhaps just as financially impactful in real world terms because of the tapping into a new demographic and and wide outside of the market exposure as well. Because let's remember something, which I think it sounds to me like you're overlooking a little bit or taking for granted. This is a swatch with Omega on the dial. It's not an Omega with Swatch on the dial. Now, that to me makes a massive, massive difference when it comes to the values of the two brands in play. I don't think it takes away the prestige of Omega's manufacturing abilities, their their, their quality, the execution of their designs. I think it simply lends a design to a smaller brand that's realized in a completely different way for a completely different audience and engaged and excited and existing audience in the process. You are putting words in my mouth in a positive sense because I am driving that point, but I wanted to make a second point on the collab topic. The key ingredient for the second part of the collab, I believe, in my humble opinion, it should be a capsule collection. It can be a limited edition. It doesn't need to be per se numbered. It doesn't need to be per se in a month or one drop, multiple drops, but there should be an end point. Yes, you can do multiple colors like the sneakers, right? Uh, Nike does milk all the collabs. They did one with the Dutch retailer Pata. They saw the Air Max wave. The Air Max one wave works. They keep on milking the cow. That's fine. But at a certain point, you know it's going to end. What I didn't like about Swatch, Swatch's strategy is first it was a limited, then it wasn't a limited, then they saw it was a huge hit, it became open-end, then they kept, it was e-com, not e-com, yes, Swatch Boutique, not all Swatch Boutiques, they didn't communicate well that it was just a Swatch collab, so it was available only in Swatch mono-brand boutiques and not the multi-brand and not at the airports, so it wasn't really transparent and didn't seem fair. Now, I want to park that fair part because it's not that relevant for this discussion. I believe they should have killed the project at a certain point and let it be. And then it was cool. And it would have been cool for Omega, but now they keep on going. And now that they made a second bioceramic collab with another high-end brand, which is often perceived more high-end than Omega, then I would have definitely killed the Moonswatch project and moved on to the next one. So end one capsule collection before moving to the next one. And with their moonshine hands, I personally 
believe that they're making a parody of themselves. So I believe they're pushing it too far now. The cow is dried up. Totally agree with you on the Moonswatch collaboration having run its course. And I think that ties nicely to the Blancpain collaboration because we all knew some something like this was coming. We knew it. I think the question was, you know, what what brand is going to go forth? And I think Blancpain was the surprising part because it is it's a niche thing. I mean, this is not Omega where you can go to any large city in the world and see, you know, huge billboards with an astronaut or James Bond on them. So I think that caught people by surprise. I think, and I'm going to bring this back to sneakers. Uh, so we're going to get super into the hobby here. And Alan, we don't talk sneakers very much, but I know a little bit about it. And uh, there was a sneaker that I wanted when I was 13. And it was called the Nike Air More Up Tempo. And uh, you can look it up. It's very 90s. It's super in your face. But the Air More at Tempo, I think at the time, this was like 98, cost $130, $140. And, you know, my parents, generous as they were, were just not going to do that. So sneaker companies have something they call takedowns. And a takedown is where you take one sneaker and you make a lower price version of it. And it's not quite the same, but I guess the idea is it scratches the itch and, and you can sort of get those customers in that wouldn't have gone for the high end version. And so for me, uh, that was the Nike Air Much Uptempo. So look up the Air More Uptempo and the Air Much Uptempo. They're kind of the same, but they're not. So let's take this to Blancpain out. Blancpain is is the most premium dive watch, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm obviously not talking precious metal cases or things like that. But uh, I think the Glastuta CQ might be the only one that's more expensive over the Rolex Submariner. So Blancpain, as I understand, that is the most premium dive watch on the market. And so you're going from something hugely expensive to something, you know, 400 euros as we talked about earlier. So the question that I have is, are you selling these Blancpain swatch watches to people that would have liked the 50 Fathoms but can't afford it? And for those that can, that maybe didn't know about the watch before, are you giving them enough reason to step up to the full price model? And I just don't think it's there. And that's not for lack of anything missing objectively in the watch. The loom is fabulous, the movements, high horology movement, titanium case, I mean, all that. I just don't think that Blancpain and its leadership, so I'll just, I'll say it. This is um, Mark Hayek, who's like the grandson of the founder of the Swatch Group and the nephew of the current CEO, um, just has not done the work to say, okay, we have all this history. Here is why this watch is worth what it is, and which is why you see it trading for less than MSRP on the secondary market. Well, I got to say, I like Mark a lot. I think he's a very nice guy. And I think he's a great CEO. I think he's a great fit. Of all the Hayek family being positioned around the conglomerate as they are, he's the one to me that seems most genuinely connected to Blancpain. I mean, he is a diver. And he really does embody a lot of the spirit of Blancpain. Whether or not he has done enough to push the prestige and importance and significance of Blancpain as a brand and the 50 Fathoms as a model out into the wider world is questionable because the first question that comes to my mind is how tied are his hands when it comes to that? He plays a role within a massive watchmaking ecosystem and Blancpain is, yes, often ignored, annoyingly so. Of course, it's higher level than Omega. So I would put it closer to Breguet, much closer to Breguet than I do to Omega in terms of quality and prestige and importance. But Breguet, even Breguet seems to get more column inches than Blancpain, and Breguet is wildly underserved. Is that Mark's fault? Now, I personally wouldn't feel comfortable pointing the finger at him and saying, 
he's not done enough without knowing more about the shadowy dealings that take place behind the scenes. But is it fair to say that Blancpain hasn't established a solid enough base into which or upon which to launch such a model? And I would say, yeah, that probably is fair because my general feeling about the 51 Fathoms or the Thrifty Fathoms, which is my personal favorite, is that the idea is amusing enough in principle, but I have problems with its execution and the communication. So starting with the communication, in comparison to Omega, Blancpain is not a household name. Omega, meanwhile, is one of the top two names someone on the street would probably blurt out when asked. Maybe the Moonwatch itself wasn't as famous as the brand, but it's a really easy story to communicate. You say, okay, first watch on the moon. That doesn't need any further explanation. But even Blancpain's very basic claim to fame, which isn't really verified, I don't think, of being the first dive watch, needs a little more knowledge to understand. I mean, what is a dive watch? If you're not a watch guy, do you even know that dive watches exist? You know the moon exists, I would guess. But like, a dive watch is a thing. It's not a fact like the moon landing. Although that might uh, stimulate some interesting comments, I suppose. Um, but I believe the moon landing to be a fact. And also a historic event, which most people will have heard of. And the fact that the dive watch is quite an esoteric thing in itself makes Blancpain's specialness, the 50 Fathoms specialness, even harder to communicate. First watch on the moon is important because it ties into an actual event. First dive watch is simply accompanying divers on yet another dive. I mean, let's not forget that the scuba tank, which is a far more important invention in the world of diving, was invented in 1926, which is a long time before this dive watch, we're talking the 50 Fathoms, came out in 1953. If you want to get pernickety about it, there is an argument that Omega themselves were responsible for the first ever dive watch with the Marines. And that was a case within a case. Now, it didn't have the rotating bezel that we identify now with a watch that needs to fulfill ISO 6425 requirements, but at the time, that was maybe seen as the first dive watch. And Panerai also uh, came before Blancpain and the 50 Fathoms. And there is, of course, an argument whether Rolex developed the Submariner before the 50 Fathoms and simply failed to release it in time to claim to be the first commercially available dive watch, but we'll leave that for another episode. But those are my problems with the whole launch and my slight defense of Blancpain. The question that I want to ask you both is, do you think the product itself is good? Because I haven't really addressed my gripes of its execution. I'd like you to start with that, and then I might come back to you. As I said in the article, I think at least the, the details are, are well thought out in the sense that uh, it is an automatic movement, which you know I guess we can sort of shrug our shoulder and say, well, okay, it's a System 51. No big deal. But you know, it is. It's it's an automatic movement that doesn't cost a ton of money uh, relative to uh, what it may cost otherwise. And, you know, again, this I'm, I'm going to kind of move into the value here without actually going too deep into it because some people will say, yeah, but Miota, and, and, and I get it, but there is a Swiss automatic movement in this watch, which is great. And it follows uh, the original tagline of, you know, there's never been a quartz Blancpain and never will there be. So I think that's great. Uh, from what I understand, the the bezel action is very good. And, uh, you know, there's the tie into the various oceans, which I think is, is very organic. So it doesn't seem to me like someone said, Hey, we'll just, you know, slap, uh, Blancpain and swatch on a dial together and call it. I think there was some thought put into it. And so for that, I have to applaud, you know, both sides. And then obviously the, the individual team members that worked on this, because I think that was very well done. Taking a segue from 
my monologue about the moon watch, the moon swatch, I think Blampa actually indeed needed this. And I don't want to say more than Omega. I don't think Omega needed this collab. Definitely not the moon watch. I mean, Rob, you've explained that very well, how epic Omega and the moon watch are and always been. Probably they did sell more. These stats that are being released by Omega, probably they're true. But how can you factor in the organic growth that Omega was already having and making and still doing? And I mean, let's be realistic. The Moonwatch is their Daytona. It's almost commoditized. And ever since Odinki said every collector should have one, they've been on a stratospheric growth together with the launch of Speedy Tuesday by our dear friend Robert Yambu of Fratello. Bob Lampin actually needed this collab. I would have preferred that Swatch done this as the first collab. But not to be too critical and too negative. I love the fact they use System 51. I bought the first System 51, the one with the, the blue transparent case and uh, the, the 51 stars on the dial. I think it's cool. I did not actually buy this Blancpain collab with Swatch. I held several. I don't know why I found it too plastic-y. I thought it was too thick. Um, I did like the retro tributes on two of the models where they use the old logo and uh, the, the, the symbols at the six o'clock. But I guess... It fizzled out after the moon swatch. It, I don't know. It, it didn't speak to me anymore. Will we see more of these swatch group brands collaborating with the mothership swatch? I guess so. After this collab, we saw loads of mock-ups of Breguet's. Everybody's joking around. We'll see now bioceramic traditional Breguet watches. But you actually put an idea in my head just now, Rob, by... Mentioning Tag Heuer with Swatch, how cool would it be if Tag Heuer did team up with Swatch and they make plastic F1 watches? Do you remember these 9080 plastic Formula One watches that used to cost something around 500 guilders, which is 220 e euros today? Yeah, I remember them. And to be quite frank, Tag Heuer should bring them back anyway and dispense with the rest of the Formula One collection, which is naff and doesn't really appeal to anybody, I guess, other than brand new fans of watchmaking who don't know what they're buying or fans of Formula One that just love the sponsorship. But I don't think Taikoya needs to do a collaboration with Swatch to do that at all. I would be fully in support of them bringing it back as a, an entry-level tag, if that would be wonderful. And I think it would actually piggyback on the news generated by these bioceramic versions of Swatch Group classics and be far more authentic and far more desirable and something that even I, as a dedicated tag Hoyer hater would buy i actually would buy that i love the old plastic ones i think they're a hell of a lot of fun and if they did that then i'd be all for it now talking about the execution of the thrifty fathoms or the 51 fathoms if you prefer i love the fact it's an automatic movement that's cool that's clever it was the right movement choice keeps the story going fine brilliant but the design of these pieces is extremely questionable the moon swatch it's 
half the price of the 50 Fathoms, even the new Moon Swatch. The Moon Swatch, sorry, the Moon Watch, the Moon Watch is half the price of the 50 Fathoms, even the new Moon Watch. The Moon Swatch is 250 euros, and the 50 Fathoms or 51 Fathoms is 400 euros. So it's an actual, it's actually an even bigger step down in terms of price. So if anything, relatively speaking, the Thrifty Fathoms is underpriced and yet it feels far cheaper and a far lazier concept and lazier execution than the Swatch version of the Moonwatch. Now, I wonder why this is. Firstly, let's look at the case spec. Okay, these little printed maps and these sea creatures that spin around on, a, on the System 51 rotor it's naff. You know, it doesn't really exude luxury. It's okay in this. I, I read somewhere, or I, actually, no, I didn't read. I heard in David's article, you're getting into my brain, David. The Pokemon got to catch them all, like, thing. This, this, I get this. Like, you know, each one's going to represent an ocean. Whatever happened to just designing a good looking watch? There were some leaks of the Thrifty Fathoms before it came out. And it was in a sort of gray, maybe a sort of ice gray blue case with basically a black dial. And it was just like standard printing. The date was in the 430 position. It was unobtrusive. It was nice. It was on a black strap. I might very well have bought that model. And then we see these clownish, cartoonish watches hit the market at green 50 fathoms. Like why? There's not even like at least the planetary versions of the moon swatch had some kind of relevance to that area the indian ocean what we taking the flag of india and putting green and orange on the that why it's not like the indian ocean it is not just india i believe the indian ocean laps the shores of many a country and what's the whole thing with the alaska one so what's the whole thing with the arctic one being beige and red it's actually the maybe the coolest coolest colorway i don't think it's the best i think it still cheapens the whole concept and what i really don't like about those non-date versions is a dead date position really turns me off but what's with that color choice the antarctic one icy cool again date date dead date position ruins it for me definitely won't buy that the best is in my opinion the atlantic the worst is the pacific in yellow and that garish horrible dial like why was it so necessary to throw everything at these pieces? Would it have been so terrible to just exercise a little bit of restraint and just do the silhouette, make them actual cheaper corollaries of the more expensive version rather than these nasty little trinkets? That's my, that's my opinion on the execution. It's pretty damning, as you probably expect. But I'm not damning the Moonswatch execution at all. So I, I, I really do see a massive difference in the way these two projects have been brought to fruition. What do you guys think about that? I agree with you 100%. But marketing is marketing and they have the story. They have to fill the story. So they make up stuff. Now, two things that I want to discuss. Intermezzo, David, sorry, I didn't respond to your air more up-tempo. Hell yes. I love them too. Had them too. Scotty Pippen stole Jordan's thunder with these shoes. So I feel you, brother. Now, talking about marketing and stories, what did you guys think of the bronze gold that Blancpain launched? What was it two weeks after the collab with Swatch? That blew my mind in a negative sense. 
You have to say why. I have thoughts on this, but why is it that you did not like it? Well, it's not so much that I don't like it. I mean, we knew that it's a Swatch Group development. Omega had the honor to use it as the first one. Me as a retailer, I've never sold one. I did not have one collector or customer who was even slightly intrigued or fascinated or willing to buy one. It was to be expected that another Swatch Group brand would pick it up or will have to use it. And it was a logical choice to use a dive watch instead of a chronograph, let's say. So it doesn't surprise me that it's a blanc pain, 50 fathoms that got the alloy. But what blew my mind is after the, the, the tutti frutti rainbow charade of plastic, multicolored, hype beast marketing story watches, they two weeks later launch a matte product that has a weird color because the bronze gold is basically a nine carat watch, which in the EU is not even allowed to be named gold because you need to have at least 50% gold in the alloy. Therefore, 14 carat, which is 57.5% gold, is the first alloy that's commonly used as gold in the EU. But when it launched and when I saw the first press pictures, I thought it was another collab that they dropped just as a bomb two weeks later. And then when I started reading, I understood it was like a 14, 15, 16K watch two weeks after. So I don't know. I, I found the timing very weird. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Uh, and and I would kind of add to that. that um, so that was the Act 3 of the 70th anniversary. Act 1, I think, would have been a great candidate for a general release of, okay, this is the new 50 Fathoms. And it didn't. It was limited. And to your point, Alan, about the um, the bronze gold, I, I think it just highlights again something that I talked about in the article as well, which is that Blancpain, and this is Blancpain, the organization, in my view, just does not have a grip on on the narrative and the, the, the product kind of journey of this watch. Now, Omega owns the Moon Swatch and they own the Seamaster 300M. They know exactly what they're doing with it. Now, you may not necessarily agree with it, but they have a very clear vision of what they're going to do with these two model lines. And I just don't think Blancpain is is there. I think they should have done a, you know, Blancpain, like you said, could have been a, Alan, could have been a really great candidate for a first Swatch collaboration. But that should have been after years of very concerted, you know, normalization of the product lines, normalization of the marketing to get people really excited for that collaboration act. Yeah, it definitely could have done with a little bit more of a build-up, and I'm not sure I agree with the order of the releases for the 70th anniversary or the focus placed upon them. But as a model, I actually kind of like the Bronze Gold 50 Fathoms. I feel that it's too expensive, which is a bit of a naff thing to say, I know, but it just it, there's no chance I'd ever buy it. It would never, ever, ever feature anywhere near like the list of watches that i would be tempted to buy at that price point i feel the execution has been called out on social media a little too much for me to really defend it you know look at the moisture indicator at six o'clock and how the line is not exactly straight and all this stuff that people were very quick to leap on and fair play to Blancpain for not using renders in their photos but if that's as if that's how bad it is in real life they probably should have thought about it the 
bronze gold used here, Alan, you'll probably know this. Is it the same as the bronze gold used in the Seamaster 300 bronze gold, or is it something slightly different? Because I notice it says this one has gallium in it, and I can't remember whether the 300 bronze gold did have gallium. Do you know off the top of your head? It is the same because it's a Swatch Group uh, developed project, and I don't think it would have been economically wise to do anything different, but it's a patent alloy enriched with 37.5% gold, which Hallmark 9K, which is not gold by EU standards, by the way. It has copper 50% in it. So uh, they added uh, as well some silver, palladium, and gallium, as you indeed indicated. So I have a good fact to add to this. Um, as far as I know, you are correct that in the EU, and especially in the United States, in order for it to be gold, it has to be 14 carat or higher, right? I think it's 14 is the... Yes, right. Yeah. However, in the United Kingdom, which is not in the EU, as you might be aware, nine carat gold is kind of like, it's our baby. We used to make a load of stuff out of nine carat gold. And in the UK, apparently, and I read this on SJX, and I haven't checked with the king if it's absolutely true, but I trust SJX. It can be called gold in the UK. Isn't that weird? I mean, you drive on the left side. So, Do you know why we drive on the left-hand side? I, I don't, I don't actually, Rob. Tell us. I mean, I don't know if this is one of those old wives' tales that's just sort of become um, fact in the minds of many British people, but apparently it has something to do with jousting and the fact that you carry your lance in your right hand, and so you need to ride on the left-hand side so you can skewer your opponent. And I... You know when you hear like stuff like that that sounds almost too nonsensical to be anywhere near true, but you want it to be true so badly you don't look into it enough to be sure? That's where I'm at right now. It's actually what every Japanese will tell you. That's the reason why in Japan they as well drive on the left-hand side. All right. Okay. Well, the Japanese are a sensible bunch, aren't they? So let's go with that. And uh, so you lot in Europe, maybe you're too pacifistic. Maybe that's a problem. Like you'll miss each other every time. Like, oh no, my lance. Oh no. Unless you're left-handed. So Rob, if you'll just allow me one more thing. If anyone ever hears me poking fun at England, I am actually English. So fun fact for the day. Hang on a second. Hang on. You're one of those. You're like my ex-girlfriend. She was five nationalities, depending on who was winning on TV. Are you French, English, or American? Uh, so I'm not American, but I am French and English. So I will, I tell you what, Rob, I'll ask my family members about the left hand thing and we'll see if we can get some confirmation. Before this this episode spins out of control, we have only a few minutes left. I have two very important questions to you. What model should Blancpain bring back into the regular collection? And second question to both of you is will we see a third bioceramic collab by Swatch with another Swatch Group brand? And if so, which one? The Le Mans line is fantastic. I said, uh, I mentioned this in my article. Uh, I recommend everyone checks that out because I just think it's, yeah, it's just, that, that whole line I think is just beautiful and they should bring that back. Uh, I, I do believe another collaboration is coming. Uh, I think Breguet is a little bit out of left field. Um, so, you know what? I'm just going to be crazy and say Jacques Edro. Why not? Because it's not Breguet. Can't really say who else it's going to be, but I'll just say Jack Hedro and uh, see what happens. Yeah, I have to agree with David de Le Mans, uh, specifically all the Aqualon stuff. I love it. I think that there's a real market for these sort of double-stepped bezels. They're extremely 90s, but I reckon that time has come for them to experience a second wind of success. Is there going to be another bioceramic collab? Oh, gosh. 
Um, I don't think that Hamilton or Longines or Mido or Satina are high enough end for it to make any sense whatsoever because the, the collabs would either be dirt cheap and devalue the Moonswatch and the Blancpain or they would be too much within that or those brands catalogs as it is you know they'd be more expensive for some hamiltons and some longines or, or close to them anyway i can't see Breguet. that's pretty ridiculous and i can't see harry winston or <laughs> or jacques Adrian, i'm afraid david i can't see that i think yeah there probably will be and i'm guessing it's going to come from omega again and i reckon that the seamaster 300m is probably ripe for an addition and i don't know if that's cheating if that wasn't what you really asked alan but in my opinion if there's going to be another bioceramic addition it'll probably come from omega next but that would be disappointed if they go back to another brand so in my humble opinion they either should kill it and just stop or go down all the swatch group brands just to be considered but if they did already air and see they need to do land I kind of hope they'll do the Hamilton Cakey Field because that's a little icon in its own right. Yeah, but how much is that going to cost? How much is that going to cost? That khaki field's only about five or six hundred euros as it is, isn't it? So why can't they make a hundred euro swatch again like they should be, which is a lot of money for a swatch? Could you imagine the volume we'd need to shift on a hundred euro bioceramic khaki field watch by Hamilton? Come on. Apparently they can shift... How many? A million. More swatches? than a million moon swatches, I mean, but that's not Omega. Like, if come on, if you're buying a hundred euro khaki fields, you're buying a khaki field at 600 euros. Okay. So hit us up, you dear listener, what you think Swatch Group is going to do, what they should do in your humble opinion, and what Blancpain model should come back. And I'll end it on my end with my all-time favorite, because I do love Blancpain. It seems I don't, but I utterly love the brand. It's very elegant, very understated, and I love the Villere chronograph Monopoussoir. So I don't know the reference by heart. Um, it was a 39 millimeters. I believe it was the 6185, but I'm not too sure. So I hope they bring that one back. And I'm out. A watch upon which we can all agree, I am sure. If you have your opinion on what Swatch Group should do next with this bioceramic endeavor, please get in touch. Let us know. You can do so via the usual channels. Hit us up on Instagram. I'm there at R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S. Alon can be found at A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H. You can get in touch with David at D-A-V-A-U-C-H-E-R. Or you can contact Alon or I via our email addresses, either Rob or Alon at therealtime.show, via the contact form on www.therealtime.show. And please follow our new Instagram account, which soon is going to be active at therealtime.show. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share the podcast. We'll be back soon with more top quality watch content. Until then, stay safe and keep on ticking. 